Ecclesiastes chapter 7 is where we're going to be today, so if you'll find your place there, we will stand in just a moment and we'll read the Bible together in uh, honor of God's Word. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, we'll read the first four verses. All right, if you found your place, stand with me. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, we'll look at verse 1 today. The Bible says in verse 1, a good name is better. And then we're going to read that word better a few times in this text. He says, it's better than precious ointment, the day of death, than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to his heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Let's pray today. Father, thank You for this text and for Your Word. Lord, I ask that You speak to us and that we would be made better as a result of these thoughts laid out here for us this morning. And so speak to us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. My mom's name was Lois. And she didn't like that name. And I remember as a boy, she legally changed her name to Laurel. And so her name was Laurel. And I remember her going through the the process of doing that. But she went by Tacy. And everyone called her Tacy. And so I'm studying yesterday, and and I've asked my dad this question before. And so I went in and text our family thread. I had three sisters and my brother and dad. I said, hey, why why did mom go by Tacy? And dad's, dad's, I've never really understood that. So dad texts or called his my mom's sister, and, it, and she said, well, we were, your mom was in eighth grade, and I was in seventh grade, and we were laying in bed one day, and, and I said, I'm going to change my name, and so she changed her name, and then my mom said, I want to change my name to Tacy, and so they just did, little girls, you know, they just changed their name, and everybody called them that, um, and I suppose I have a little bit of that in me. When I was a boy, my mom loved the name Daniel, and she called me Daniel, but I wanted to assert myself, and so when I was a boy in Washington State, I told everyone my name was Dan. And because Dan is one syllable and Fleet is one syllable, it began to run together. And so I was Dan Fleet, and that's what everybody called me. And so if you go to Washington State to this day, if I go home, everyone calls me Dan. And my kids look at them like, who's Dan, you know? Um, And when I got back to Oklahoma and I was establishing my name here, I decided I'm going to go by Daniel again. I like Daniel. My mom liked Daniel. And so that's what you know me as, I think. Having an identity is one of the most important things about our human nature. And on the day you were born, you were assigned an identifier. And you may not like it, and you may change it, and you may come up with your own name legally or, or illegally, I guess. Uh, you may, you may uh, adapt a nickname, but it's, it's an identifier. We all have one. It's not just a number, it's, it's a name. Your name is what people call you. It's what you respond to. You could be in a room full of noise and not hear one word until someone says your name. And then you hear that because that's your name. It's your identifier. It's what you respond to. And it influences so much about our lives. It gives us a sense of who we are. Your name carries with it your full name, carries with it personal and cultural, familial and historical connections. And in many ways, your name is your personal identity, and many of us are tied to it in terms of our, our self-worth. One social scientist stated, a name is many things ranging from an important anchor point of identity to a determining factor in personality development. 
And so we learn from Solomon right away in this text as he opens this passage. He says, a good name is better. That a name can be a good thing. And if a name can be a good thing, then it can be what? Well, it can also be a bad thing. Names can be good and names can be bad. So I'm going to say a name today and then you respond if you think it's a good name or a bad name. So just say good or bad. Are you ready? Because a little audience participation this morning. Cruella DeVille. Good. Okay, I mean, that's kind of an easy one because cruel is right in there with it. All right, Cruella DeVille, she's bad. All right. Darth Vader. Good or bad? Good. If you said good, let's talk later. All right, we'll have an altar call. You come down. Okay, Ursula. Bad, that's right. Frodo Baggins. There you go. Okay, Uh, Indiana Jones. Some of you are looking at me like, Frodo who? Okay. There'll be an altar call for you as well, so we need to deal, deal with that. All right. Okay, let's get serious for a second, and, and there's no need to respond on these. If we just say names like these, Osama bin Laden, or Adolf Hitler, or Judas Iscariot, we'd say those types of names, and we would each have maybe a feeling in our heart of, of even potentially dread. We could say names like Abraham Lincoln, or C.S. Lewis, or, or maybe Mary, the mother of Jesus, and we think, wow, what, you know, some examples there and, and some wisdom and some help in life to others. Um, for our church family today, I could say some names that would mean something to us. Could say names like Barbara Gamble. Uh, could say Bob DeGroot or maybe Ron Dye. And, and there are so many that flood my mind, that would, that would come to my mind, that, that I would think about their name in a certain particular way. Okay, let's make it personal today for you. So, so I'm not going to say the name because I don't know all the names, but your dad's name. What comes to your mind when you think about your father, your, your, your earthly father? Maybe your boss's name or maybe an employee's name if you're the boss. What about your neighbor's name? What comes to mind when you think about them? What, what comes to your mind or maybe the mind of another when your son's name is mentioned, or your daughter's name. What does their name hold? Your name is what you're known for, and it's what you will be known by. And Solomon used the adjective good to describe a particular kind of name, but adjectives are attached to all of our names. See, there's, there's words like this. When we think of some names, we might think of the, the idea of mean. Well, they're just a mean person. Or they're recluse. They're stingy. A person's an angry person. Oh, they're, they're a sour person. Other oh, face is bitter. That's a bitter person. Other people, we might know them by this. Well, that's a kind person. I, I look at my wife and in her eyes and I think, I love her. She's, she's good and she's kind to me when I don't deserve it. There are people that are happy and they're encouraging. And there are those who are dignified, respectable. There are those who are, who are people we would look at them and go, man, that, that's a servant. They're helpful. And, and Solomon makes this point right as he comes out of the text this morning that you should make the aim of your life to have positive labels attached to your name. And he, he says this phrase, a good name is better than precious ointment. And we have to remember that the Bible is set in the ancient world. It was a dirty world. It was a dusty world. They didn't have the kind of showers and access to clean water and and, and toilets and and those types of things that we have today. 
They relied on ointments and they relied on perfumes to many times just mask or to cover up many of the scents and to make the world a little more pleasant. And especially good fragrances that lasted, that would last a long time. They were, they were a valuable commodity. And on the day that one was buried, they would anoint the body with the most costly of ointments. And a lot of thought and time went into the burying process. And people were concerned way ahead of time about what they would be anointed with at death. They would save their money. They would labor really hard. They would plan out the details. And, and the process of death and burial was such a much bigger deal in this time frame and in the Middle East than maybe it is to us today in America. They would save for this ointment. They would labor over it. It was a big deal to them. And we, we catch a little insight into this in John chapter 12. The Bible says in verse 3, Mary took uh, Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard. And this is what the Bible says about this. It was very costly. It's expensive stuff. And anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Everyone smelled it. Wow, that's expensive stuff. Wow, that smells good. Then saith one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Did he was, this is really valuable. This was like a year's worth of wages. So whatever you make, take that amount in the, in the course of a year. That would be what you would spend on the, just the ointment for your death. Tens of thousands of dollars, perhaps hundreds of thousands of dollars. And verse 7 then said Jesus, let her alone against the day. And then he says this word, of my burying hath she kept this. Solomon was recognizing that more important than the ointment, because he says this, a good name is better than precious ointment, that more important than the ointment they anoint your body with at death, and this would have had cultural relevance to these people in a way perhaps it escapes us today, we might say, more important than your casket, more important than your burial plot, more important than that maybe scenic setting, more important than anything you can imagine is your name. That's what's going to be remembered. A good name has more value than any other thing. People are not going to remember the casket you're buried in. They may or may not remember the burial plot you were in. I, I, for the sake of illustration this morning, my mom, I, I don't really remember what her casket looked like, and I don't really remember uh, where, I remember the seminary, cemetery she's at, but I could just walk up to it today in Washington State, well, there's where my mom lived. But I remember her name, as weird as her story is about her name. It means something to me. And Solomon's saying, this is what matters most, more than any other detail of your life, is your name, it's your reputation, it's who you are, why? Because that's what you will be remembered by. It's what you will be known by, not just in this life, but in the one to come and the rewards that you will attain. People won't remember how much money you had. They won't remember how big your bank account was. They won't remember how stylish you were in your dress how educated you were, how accomplished you are, what are they going to remember? Who you are, your name, stripped of all those things. And Solomon is simply saying this, your name is important. And he's saying to us this morning, make it a good one. Make your name. When someone thinks about you, 
May they have good thoughts, good ideas. Not perfection, and I get that, but have a good name, have a good reputation. How do you get a good name? How do we get there in our lives? Well, a good name comes to those who contemplate life. The idea isn't stated implicitly in the text, but it's, it, is, it is clearly, the idea is clearly there. That we would contemplate life, that we'd be thinking about it. Contemplate means to view or consider with continued attention. Or to study, to meditate on, to be reflective of who you are. Don't just go through life without looking in the mirror and assessing, who am I? How do I come across to people? What does God see in me? Like That needs to be forefront of our minds and something we are continually reflecting on. Proverbs chapter 21 verse 5 says, The thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness. And the idea there is that good planning and working really hard lead to prosperity. As you give thought to something, you work hard, it, it will lead you to a good place. And it's the same in our name and our life. If you give thought to it, and you work hard at producing a good name, there's going to be blessing, and there's going to be prosperity, and there's going to be a reward attached to that. Careful planning about your life and who you are will put you ahead. Okay, question, and you don't need to answer, this is rhetorical, but can you control every circumstance in life? Of course the answer is no. I can't control what happens to me. There's so much that's outside of the power of my control, of your control. There are causes and effects, though, for our decisions. And so to some degree, we determine our circumstances. But there are a lot of them we can't control. Can't control by genetics, and neither can you. You can't control what family you were born into. You can, can't control who you did, what you did or didn't inherit. But a good name isn't defined or determined by circumstances. It's not what determines a good name. A good name is defined by other things. Things like strength of character, the presence of the fruit that is only grown from the presence of the Spirit of God in one's heart as He cultivates that in us. A good name in life is something that is intentionally attained, thought over, prayed over, meditated on, reflected on, contemplation, this idea of I'm going to give thought. Who am I? And who do I want to be? You don't stumble into having a good name. Those that don't contemplate, those that don't think about life, they almost always have a bad name. You must think about who you are. You must think about who you wish to be. And you have to develop a strategy not to be reactive in life. Things come your way and you just react. Well, we're going to react poorly unless we choose a different way and a different response. You must develop a strategy don't not choose your character. Make that decision. Make it in advance before you, before you engage in difficult circumstances. If you don't choose to have a good name, then you're going to have something other than a good name. And here's the challenge from the text. The best way to contemplate life is to contemplate death. This is morbid kind of text today. And, and so I tried to lighten it up a little bit by throwing in some Disney characters, but it's morbid. The first four verses, a good name is better than precious ointment. The ointment is the ointment of a burial. This whole passage is about a, a funeral. It's about death, and it's, and it's about dying. Verse 2 again, it's better to go to the house of mourning 
where the funeral is, than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to his heart. Those who are living, when they go to a funeral, they begin to think about their own mortality and that one day they too will be there. Verse 3, sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. Okay, let let me lay a little bit of groundwork for our thinking, thinking this morning. The house of feasting and laughter are wonderful and needed things in our lives. He is not saying, be a mopey, dopey, sober person. There are a lot of other Bible verses that hold us in balance here and that can even create tension in our lives. I mean, just one of them would be a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. Okay? There is a place for merriment and joy and laughter, and we need that. We need celebration. Laughter and merriment, they literally heal a broken heart. Okay, yesterday we had a wedding here at the church, and it was beautiful. And Seth uh, Estep stood up here, and he stood right here, and Hannah Blevins came in those doors. She walked down this aisle. She stood up here. It was, it was just a beautiful ceremony. It was wonderful to be a part of, and, and I loved every minute of it. Just a, 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 a precious day, and I enjoyed that so much. Um, I love birthdays. Uh, I love birthday parties. My son Ethan is going to someone's home today to celebrate a birthday party. I love vacations. We were on vacation a few weeks ago with extended family, and I, and I hope you were able to, to do those t- types of things too. Th- those have a place in our hearts. We need that time. Next week is Fall Festival Day. Um, it's, it's a crazy day. It's a fun day. Uh, we're going to have some silly competitions like the bull riding, and people can dress up. And if you've never been, the race at the end of the day will be the most ridiculous thing you've seen in your life. But it's a celebration. It binds our hearts together. It creates memories here. It's a celebration of life and what God's doing in our church. Celebrations help ease tensions. They help to heal us. Okay. But they don't grow us. They don't grow us. They're good for us, but they aren't the best thing. Okay, I want you to consider for a moment. And I'm laying the foundation of thought this morning, so hang with me. The Lord never asked us in His Word to remember His birth. Christmas, the Word itself, Christ Mass, is rooted in Catholicism. I don't want to break your bubble this morning. It's kind of like a kid finding out it's not Santa Claus, but Jesus wasn't born in December. That's just, He wasn't. Um, The origins of Christmas are rooted in the winter solstice. Why do we celebrate Christmas? Because we want to. I, I mean, I can't defend it any other way. It's fun, and I like it, and we're going to do it, and it's awesome. And we, if we want to make the Lord's birth a big deal, that's great. We're going to do it because uh, we want to, not because of some Bible doctrine. Jesus doesn't ask us to remember the day He rose from the dead, the day we call Easter. We do Easter the way we do it because we like it. There's nothing wrong or evil with celebrating Christmas or Easter Uh, We do it our way, and we've created what we want to create. Okay, but they aren't instructed in the Bible. It's not there. They aren't, there aren't supposed to be no holy days, and we're instructed from God's Word not to have holy days, that each day is as important to God as another day. And we're to treat every single day with special, every day is a holy day. Okay, what does the Lord ask us to remember? What does He say? I want you to remember this. 
I want you to repeat this. I want this to get going through your minds. Let me read a couple passages of Scripture. Luke chapter 22, verse 19. He's about to die. He's with his disciples. He took bread. He gave thanks. He broke it and he gave it unto them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. And then he says this word that he didn't say about any, any of these other events. This do in remembrance of me. I want you to remember this moment. I want you to remember this. And he says, likewise also the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, Paul writing now, years later, and as he's reflecting on this moment, and he's writing about the Lord's Supper, because the church, early church, many of them were violating the Lord's Supper. And he says in verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's, and then what's the next word there? His death till he come. Jesus didn't say, I want you to remember the night I was born and the angels in the sky. It's a cool story, one of my most favorite in the Bible. He did not say, remember this. He did not say, I want you to remember the day I rose from the dead. Do we remember? Is it important Bible doctrine? Yes. It's incredibly valuable. Jesus died. He rose again. And through our faith and trust in him and because of his resurrection and his victory over death, it is what allows us into heaven. That faith and that trust in him is so important. But what does he say to remember? Not my birth, not my resurrection. I want you to remember my death. And that's what Solomon's saying here. I want you to think about death. Why is Jesus asking us to remember his death of all these other wonderful happy events that we love so much? Well, it's because his death instructs us that life ends. And it may not end on our terms. His death instructs us about his great love for you. That was the sacrifice, not being born, not even rising again. That was the victory part. He's saying, I died for you, and I want you to remember in this moment that I gave my life and I gave my blood, and I allowed the Father, my Heavenly Father, to turn his back on me and bear your sin, and I did this for you. His death instructs you about the kind of selfless and sacrificial life you're to live. It's instructive. I'm going to follow him in his example and the way he lived and the way he died. His death instructs us that there is life after death. He says, I'm going to die, but that which is put in the ground, it's going to come back up. And tonight we're going to do a baptism this evening after the service. And several individuals, they're going to go under the water and we're picturing Christ's death. And they're going to, we're not going to keep down there very long. We don't really want him to die, but it's a picture of death. We're going to bring him right back up just a second later, picturing his resurrection, what's taking place in their heart that they've turned their, put their faith in him. And Jesus says, I want you to remember this part. This do in remembrance. Remember this part. Remember my death till I come. So verse 1 through 4 of Ecclesiastes chapter 7 are strictly written in the context of a funeral. And when Solomon says things like this, sorrow is better and sadness of the countenance is better. That's not an excuse for an unhappy person to say, see, I'm unhappy and I'm sorrowful and I'm, I have a sad countenance and that's justification of the Bible. No, this is said in the context of a funeral and it's momentary. We're supposed to return to people of joy and righteousness and peace. He is not giving excuse to be a grump. He's saying this, loss instructs the heart we don't like to think about death. 
it makes us uncomfortable. We work at avoiding it. The things we try to avoid, those things are often the most beneficial for us. We don't like to wake up early. We like to avoid that. We don't like aerobic exercise or anaerobic exercise, or just exercise. We don't like eating certain foods we know are good for us. Now, how many times have heard people say, I don't like drinking water? And I don't either, for the record. We don't like hard work. We'd rather not embrace these things. In fact, we'd rather flee from them. Why? Well, because they hurt us, make us uncomfortable. It's hard to get up early. It's hard to work out. It's hard to drink water. It's hard to eat the right foods. But it is in those things that our bodies are helped. Physical body is helped. It's made better when we, when we care about the temple that God gave us. We need feasting. We need laughter in our lives. We need celebrations. But if that's all we have, and we avoid things that can hurt us, then we are left in our hearts and our souls at a deficit. And Solomon is saying we need some sorrowful moments. We need to wrestle with the concept of death. The things that we try to avoid are often the best things for us. Dealing with death and the concept of death is good for your heart. You need to think every once in a while and contemplate and think about your life. But the best way to do that is to think about your death one day. We're all going to die. It is appointed to you. A moment to be born and a moment to die. It instructs our lives more than any other thing. Death reminds us that our life's going to end. Don't ignore it. Okay, real practical instruction this morning. Go to every funeral you can. Your heart will be better off by going to a funeral than a birthday celebration. You're going to be better for it. Don't avoid it. Go to the hospital when someone's sick and when they're dying. Don't try to protect your kids from that. You, the best thing for your kid is to go to a funeral, not a youth rally. And, and, I, and I have no problems with the other things. They're great. But you want to help your child grow and be reflective about life. Expose them to death. I am not talking about gory images or, 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 the, or the really scary stuff. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about facing mortality. Face it. Understand it. Solomon's drawing our attention to it today. Is it scary? Sure. It's supposed to be. The face of death instructs the decisions we make in life and the life to come. Tell your kids, mom, dad's going to die one day. You need to think about who you are when I'm gone. You're going to die one day. You need to think about who you are today. Your name is going to be assessed on the day of your death, and it's outside of your control that day. You have no power over it. You don't get to, to, to ease into anything. It's out of your control and you're gone. It's assessed by other people. It's assessed by those who knew you. Some won't even know you, but they will hear your name and what your name meant to others, and they will assess your life based on your name. Then you're going to be assessed by the Lord, and that's going to really matter. There's a book I've referenced many times. It's full of practical wisdom and advice called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. He communicates this powerful exercise in the book. It's called the funeral exercise. 
And it, it's this exercise where he, he invites you to close your eyes and imagine you're at a funeral. So somber music's being played, perhaps. Unless you're someone else, and maybe some people have some happy music playing. There's music being played. And people are sad. And there's a lot of flowers. And there might be some smiles, or maybe not. Maybe it's well attended, or maybe it's not well attended. People are sharing thoughts about the person who died. They're standing up and affirming the deceased. And then Covey lets you in on something. The funeral you're attending is your own. And then he asks you to answer these specific questions. If this is your funeral, what do you want your spouse to say about you? What are they going to say to other people? What would you like to hear your kids say? What would you hope your coworkers would say? The questions could go on, but ultimately, what witness would God give on your one and only name? This is what Solomon is saying. He's saying this, I'm going to gift you with some wisdom. I'm going to really help you out. So let me paint this picture. You're going to die. So start from that day and work backwards. Strategize. Come up with a plan. This isn't hopeless. There's a, there's a, for those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus, there's an eternity to come. But we have to go through this, this valley of shadow of death. For hundreds and thousands of years, everyone's hoped for the rapture to come. So they wouldn't experience death. And it hasn't come yet. And it might. But the chances are it won't. So I, I can't answer that question for you, but, but put your faith in that is foolish. You're going to die. Like just deal with that fact and say, okay, if that's the day of my death, whatever God appoints that day, I'm going to work backwards. I'm going to strategize today and say, this is what I want said about me. This is how I want people to remember me. This is what I want to be known for. And be that person. Work to build a good name today. Solomon gives us some life-changing math in chapter 7. Verse 1, he says, a good name is better than precious ointment. All the preparations you make for your funeral are irrelevant compared to your name, because that's what's going to be remembered. He says, death is better than birth. He says, mourning is better than feasting. He said, sorrow is better than laughter, because it instructs us. He says, in verse 5, rebuke is better than the song of fools, or someone that flatters you. Someone that butters you up all the time? He says a rebuke from a wise man is a lot better than that because that will instruct your life. Verse 8, he says, the end is better than the beginning. Embrace and don't avoid thinking and contemplating the things in life that will help you most. There is an end to all things. Think about the end of life. What's going to matter to you most that day? And the challenge is simply this today. Don't wait to prepare for death. It takes a lifetime to prepare for it. So do it today. Work at loving other people to the best of your ability, to the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life. You draw close to the Lord, He's going to begin to grow fruit in your life. Work at making people feel special. Don't create a lot of baggage. And when you do and you mess up, do your best to get things right. Invest in people and love them. Spend time developing 
a relationship with the Lord that, by the way, will never end and last an eternity. Don't get to heaven and he's a stranger to you. Express gratitude. Be a happy, selfless, good person. Have a good name. It's more important than any other thing you will do. Let me ask you to stand this morning, heads bowed, eyes closed.